بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العلم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek His assistance and we seek His guidance and we seek refuge and we seek His forgiveness subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon them, none can misguide him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon them, none can guide him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his messenger. Uh, my dear brothers and sisters, um, if I haven't already greeted you with the greetings of peace, then let me do so now. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. I welcome you all to uh, yet another session in our series Provisions for the Hereafter. This is our eighth session after the introduction and uh, today is the 25th of April uh, 2015. And as uh, you saw um, in the email that came across to you, this will be our last uh, session insha'Allah for many reasons so one of them is because uh, we have many brothers and sisters preparing for their examinations some are teachers so they're preparing their students some are students and they're preparing uh, for their exams may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make everybody's um, situation easy and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower upon each and every one of us uh, inspiration and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remind us of those things which we may have forgotten. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless our study and um, allow us to cover um, a lot of material in little time. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. I know, uh, you know, the exam time always uh, is a stressful time by default for many reasons. One of those reasons is because um, some of us, you know, we have ambitions in terms of our achievement and this is important. This is important, important, but we must never ever forget, brothers and sisters. Uh, and this is a footnote to those who indeed are giving exams and taking exams in the upcoming weeks. Never ever forget that uh, the greatest exam is the exam in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the tests related to that particular exam, such as the exam of the grave. And as I told you earlier, uh, we know the questions of the grave, but... Memorizing the answers doesn't mean we will answer it. So every day of our life is indeed preparation for that exam. And the marking will happen on the day of Qiyamah in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So um, whenever you feel stressed out, um, studying for your exams and worrying about that A or that A plus or whatever the requirements might be, you know, for you to move on to your next stage of study or for you to get to your next class, uh, always... Uh, quench the intensity of that stress by remembering the greatest exam in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the people who received the book in 
their right hands and those who uh, receive their, 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 their books in their left hands and, and those who receive it in their right hands then they are uh, those who have passed they have received the true degree the, the Jannah degree uh, if I may uh, call it that so um, this is just a footnote for those who are entering that particular period um, I've been blessed to be um, a student in the system uh, for many years throughout my journey with uh, IT and then into the uh, first degree related to Arabic language and Islamic studies and then the bachelor's in Sharia and then um, with my master's degree in judiciary which was a three-year program as well, a lot of exams and even now with the PhD, it's uh, the first year of the PhD is full of exams. So, uh, and, and, and the system in Saudi Arabia is that they, they test you double. So uh, a subject, one subject will have two major exams. Uh, which are both uh, important in terms of you passing the subject. So in terms of uh, stress and managing stress and understanding the presence of stress, I I definitely can understand what you all uh, will be feeling. But I share with you uh, these few words of wisdom, uh, these words uh, and thoughts that used to help me um, get through um, these periods. Don't ever forget, brothers and sisters. Don't ever forget... Um, never ever forget um, dua. Never ever forget dua. One of one of the issues we have today is we ask everybody to make dua for us, and we forget to make dua for ourselves. Right? This happens. It's, it, perhaps it's the stress of the exam. It clouds our judgment. So you know, even if it's a job interview, even if it's stress at work, everybody we end up meeting, you know, we we say make dua for us, make dua for us, make dua for us, and then we forget to make dua for ourselves. Never forget charity begins at home. I'm not saying that we sh- uh, it's not allowed to ask other people to make dua for us. It is, uh, you know, within reason, right? Uh, ensuring that we ask people of piety or people that we perceive as pious to make dua for us, ask our parents to make dua for us, ask our teachers uh, to make dua for us. But never ever forget that the most dua should happen from you yourself. You yourself. So ask Allah. Right? All those amazing exam du'as as I call it. You know, you know those du'as where we say, Ya Allah, please uh, make me remember during my study all those answers that I will need uh, in the exam. Because Ya Allah, you know all the questions already in the exam. You remember that du'a brothers and sisters? <laughs> I'm sure many are laughing. And, and you know that other du'a when, when we say, Ya Allah, please soften the, 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 the person's heart, the person who's marking my, my exam afterwards and please blind them to my mistakes, Ya Allah. You, you remember that? Uh, <laughs> you remember that dua, brothers and sisters? Yeah. So uh, I call them the exam duas, right? Um, uh, make make dua yourself and ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Amma yujibu al-mutar ida da'a." Right? فَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءِ. Right? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Who is the one who answers uh, the dua of the stressed one, of the desperate one?" And lifts the burden of them. Who is the one who does this? Indeed, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, even though you ask other people to make dua for you, never ever forget that the best person to make dua for you is you. Never ever forget this, brothers and sisters. The best person to make dua for you is you because you are the most desperate. You are the most stressed. 
right? This means so much to you. you, you the, the heart that cries out to Allah when you make dua to Allah given your situation is that stressed, desperate heart. And indeed it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who answers uh, our dua. So never ever forget to make dua for yourself. May Allah grant us the understanding. So this is one of the reasons why we uh, are uh, closing the class uh, a week uh, early, a week or two. Uh, earlier and um, inshallah uh, as promised we will continue with year one um, part two uh, as we explained at the beginning we'll divide the year uh, into two parts we'll have part one which will run from uh, around September or after Hajj uh, until uh, the beginning of the new year so around uh, January uh, and then we'll take a short break and then we'll continue from uh, that particular period up till May Right, so we have two parts to the year. So, inshallah, we will um, because we obviously started um, during the latter part. Uh, then our part two will be uh, after Hajj. Our part two will be after Hajj. In the light, I ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to grant us life and to preserve us in His obedience uh, and to bring us together, inshallah. And as promised, inshallah, we will have. Um, some of those one-off programs, lectures pertaining to Ramadan and any other pressing issues. And inshallah, you will be informed, walillahi alhamd, via, um, via the Zad, uh, via the Zad al-Ma'ad um, uh, mailing list, bi'idhnillah, right? The provisions for the hereafter uh, mailing list. Last um, week, brothers and sisters, we stopped at um, the revelation that came to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and in particular, you know what was the first revelation, and we were discussing the difference of opinion or the narration of Jabir radhiyallahu an and the narration of Aisha radhiyallahu anha. Okay, and um, the conclusion to that discussion was that the first uh, revelation that came to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was Iqra, and um, then uh, after that he became a messenger with the revelation, Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir. So he became a prophet with Iqra, um, and he became a messenger with Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir. And we said that one of the lessons we can extract from this is the lesson of uh, knowledge coming before action. And I recall towards the end, I, I spoke a general advice to all our da'wah organization heads here, uh, that you know, ensure that you, 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 you are a good student of knowledge. Right? Or at least you have uh, a shura board, right? a board of advisors that are made up of students of knowledge because um, it's not conceivable to intend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without having knowledge. This sharia is built upon the concept of knowledge before action. Iqra, which is a command towards reading, is a command towards education and being educated before you act. And as we, we've discussed earlier, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to his messenger, We found you not upon complete guidance and we guided you. Meaning we taught you how to worship Allah and then you went about your way worshipping Allah. Now you knew how to worship Allah. So knowledge came to you that allowed you to act. And uh, as we've discussed time and time again, uh, even the books of hadith represent this. And in Sahih al-Bukhari, uh, he has an entire chapter titled, Babu al-ilmi qabla al-qawli wal-amal, the chapter of knowledge before speech and action. Right? Which means that even the, the, the scholars of hadith, through their journey, uh, gathering a hadith, realize that we have so many a hadith that put forward this concept of knowledge coming before action. 
right? And don't forget the end of Surah Al-Fatiha, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about those who practice so much without knowledge. And um, they are the people that went astray. Whoever practices without knowledge, they go astray. Because yes, you know, somebody may ask that what would make a person practice when they don't have knowledge? And the answer to that question is love. They love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They want to worship Allah. People who do bid'ah, they, they don't intend to, ha- to, to you know, harm themselves by it or to disrespect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you ask anyone innovating in religion, you say, but I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the person who, uh, may Allah protect, might uh, observe Salatul Maghrib as four raka'at and not three. If you tell him, why did you do this? He'll tell you, because I wanted to make more sujood, observe more sujood, and observe more ruku'ah. It's out of love for Allah. But uh, when it comes to worshipping Allah, loving Allah is not enough. You have to love Allah with knowledge. Meaning you have to love Allah and the fruits of the love that you have for Allah have to be built upon the concept of knowledge. So the sharia is big upon education before practice. And that is why the foundation of the sharia is education and ilm, iqra. And the tool of the sharia, the tool of the sharia is the pen, right? Or the instrument of the sharia is the pen, right? And the pen is a tool of education as well. Allah says, الَّذِي عَلَّمَ bilqalam, The one who taught by the pen. And Allah takes a qasam by the pen. When Allah says, noon وَالْقَلَمِ وَمَا يَسْطُرُونَ Right? He takes a qasam by the pen. Allah takes a qasam by this pen. By, Allah swears by the, by the pens and that which they inscribe. So, uh, the pen is an instrument of education. So, education becomes uh, or comes before ilm. Uh, sorry, edu- uh, education or ilm comes before amal and uh, effort. Now, if you look at these two words, ilm and amal, you see, subhanallah, uh, you know, they are indeed twins of faith. Even in the, 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 the physical makeup, you know, you get twins that are identical twins, and you get twins that uh, they exist together, but they're not identical, but similar. If you look at the two words, if Hisham can just stick it up on the, on the whiteboard, ilm and amal, you can see that they are made up of three letters, the same three letters, ayn, lam, and meen. Ain, lam, and meem. The only difference is, in one word, the lam comes before the meem. And in another word, the meme comes before the lam. Ilm and amal. Ilm and amal. But if you look at the Arabic alphabet, in, and this is just uh, from my own observation, right? This doesn't mean that, uh, that uh, I'm saying something set in stone, um, uh, endorsed by divine evidence. This is just observation from tadabbur. Right? If you look at the Arabic alphabet and the way it exists today, subhanallah, you find that lam comes before which letter? Come on, brothers and sisters, participate with me here. Lam comes before which letter? Does lam come before meme or does meme come before lam? Right? Even in, in, in the way it's made up today. Do we find lam coming before meme or do we find the meme coming before lam? Right, we find obviously the lamb comes before the meme. So we so so even though these words are made up of the same three letters, Ain, Lam and Meme. Ain, Lam and Meme. We see that in the concept that comes before action, which is ilm, we have the lamb coming before the meme. The lamb coming before the meme. Ilm. Subhanallah. And then we have Amal. So ilm refers to knowledge. And amal, amal refers to action. 
And in Amal, we see the Meme come before the Lamb. And in Ilm, we see the Lamb come before the Meme. And in the, the natural structure of the Arabic language today, as we find it today, I'm not saying this is how it was at the time of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But as we find it today, we see that subhanallah, the lamb comes before the meme as well. So, I mean, um, the point I'm trying to get across is no matter how many angles and no matter how many ways we choose to look at this, brothers and sisters. Right? No matter how many ways we choose to look at this, um, the net result will be that we will find ilm coming before amal. Subhana Rabbil A'la. The net result is we will find knowledge coming before action. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. You know, I was even thinking about the, 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 the suar, right? Or the surahs in the Qur'an. I was, I was pondering over this just, just this week. I was saying, subhanallah, if you um, look at the beginning of every surah, most surahs, Right? Most surahs. Most surahs. Uh, you will see that it begins with knowledge before action. Wallahu a'lam. Right? If you, if you say, for example, Alif Lam Mim. Or let, let's start from Surah Al-Fatiha. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamd here is uh, not a verb, it's a noun. Right? And even the sentence, it's, 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 this is a noun sentence. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And in it, we have education. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. We're being educated. All praises belong to Allah, Lord of the Worlds. Rough translation. All praise belongs to Allah, Lord of the Worlds. This is education. We, we're not being asked to do something. We are being taught something. Right? Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. We're being taught again about Allah. We're being taught about Allah. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Right, the beneficent, the most merciful, right, uh, the all merciful and the specially merciful, right. Maliki yomidin. We're being taught again, owner of the day of judgment. This is education, right? We're not being told to do anything. This is education. Allah is ta- educating us about Himself, right? Um, we're being educated about Allah. Right? And now that we've become educated about Allah, last week I discussed, right, that if you make someone love you, you want to do, they, they want to do things for you. Allah teaches us about Himself, so we love Allah. When we love Allah, we want to do things for Allah. We immediately say, You alone do we worship. <clears throat> right? We step up now. As a, we love Allah, we don't want to worship anyone but Allah. And you alone do we ask for help. This is action. Now, did, I mean, ask yourself, why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put iyaka na'bud wa iyaka nasta'in at the beginning? Before telling us, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Allah could have just opened it by saying, Qul iyaka na'bud wa iyaka nasta'in. Say, uh, you alone do we worship and you alone do we seek assistance from. Right? Allah could have done this. But no, Allah taught us first before the points of action came through, that, you know, who are you going to ask for help? Who are you going to worship? Surely, you, you only want to worship the Lord of the worlds. You only want to seek help from the most merciful. So who is the Lord of the worlds and who is the most merciful? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because He is Maliki Yawmiddin. And He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la. 
right? So we, we uh, even the surahs of the Quran come with knowledge. Most of the surahs, obviously, uh, as I've said, there are some surahs that begin with action, like Ya Ayyuhaladina Amanu Awfu Bil Uqud, right? In the sixth juz, uh, O oh, you who believe. Honor your contracts. This is a command. This is action. But even in this surah, it's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't teach us about the importance of, uh, or, or the knowledge pertaining to honoring contracts before He, he, he came with, with, um, uh, Right? Because we know in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah speaks about the hypocrites. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us that from the signs of hypocrisy is not honoring your promises. So even in that circumstance, we don't say that, you know, because the, some surah started with action, that that means action can happen before knowledge. No, because in this circumstance, we look at the Qur'an holistically. But if you look at most surahs, in my humble view, it starts with knowledge. Look at Alif Lam Mim, Surah Al-Baqarah. Alif Lam Mim, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابِ لَا رَيْبَ فِي Allah is teaching us, right? This is a book in which there is no doubt. Rough translation again. We're being educated. It's a means of guidance for the God conscious. Right? Uh, again, this is um, uh, a concept of education. Allah is not telling us to do things. Allah is informing us about uh, things. Allah is informing us. Right? Um, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَةِ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Allah goes on to teach us about the, uh, the, the muttaqun, the God conscious, and those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is educating us. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to educate us in, in, in many more an ayat before... Um, the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala start coming down. In fact, if you look at Surah Al-Baqarah as a whole, right? If you look at Surah Al-Baqarah as a whole, you find, you find laws towards things uh, kicking in fully at the beginning of the second juz. Facing the Qibla, taking the Qibla as a way of worship, right? And, and, and then if you traverse through uh, the rest of Surah Al-Baqarah, rules pertaining to marriage, rules pertaining to divorce, rules pertaining to, uh, you know, there's a lot of yas'alunaka, they ask you concerning, they ask you concerning, inform them, now the rules start coming, right? The action points start coming. Then, uh, as we, we, we spill over into the third juz, uh, which, which marks uh, the, uh, the points that end Surah Al-Baqarah, we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking about riba, and speaking about how we should borrow money if we're on a journey, and how to document that, and, so, and, 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 and uh, you know, the processes that will lead to benefit, for example, that we have evidence of the money being taken, and who took it, and the amount, and so on and so forth. So these laws now come, um, even within Surah Baqarah, the beginning is about knowledge. That gets you to a stage where now you are ready to act. And, وَهَلُمَّ جَرَّعَ يعني, and, 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 عَلَى هَذَا فَقِسْ Next time you open any surah of the Qur'an, ponder over this point. When you travel through the meaning, ponder over this point. Right? Look at the beginning and see how many times Allah, how many ayat are there educating us before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do something. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. So, uh, I just wanted to continue off this particular point from um, our last discussion, just as a point of uh, a point to ponder, or what I like to call those golden uh, words of wisdom, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, open upon us. As 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 um, I, you know, 
we all know brothers and sisters right? the, the quran just is just amazing it's just amazing wallahi for those who are sincere with this book allah will open for them ajaib Allah will open for them, subhanallah, uh, meanings and lessons. Yani, it will settle your heart to, to an extent that no doubt will ever enter it. Allahu Akbar. Wallahi, this book is amazing. And it's so amazing. You know, every time we begin a speech, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would always begin a speech and say, مَن يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَن يُضْرِي الْفَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, whoever Allah decrees guidance upon, none can misguide. And whoever Allah decrees misguidance, guidance upon none can can guide. You know, you remember this when you think of those non-Muslims who studied the Arabic so well, and they studied the Quran so well, only to try and disprove this book being uh, the, the final testament. Right? And they, they're reading the same ayat that you and I are reading. But Allah doesn't bless the heart. Because they chose not to be blessed by having uh, an insincere intention. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Right? So this shows you that guidance is in the hands of Allah. There are people who have studied this book amazingly. In fact, you know, some of the, uh, some of the, the, the works that grow our iman with regards to the book of Allah are done by some of the Orientalists. Some, some of the Orientalists have stepped up and they've, you know, they've written about, uh, today it's a common phenomenon and I'm sure you've seen it in, in modern day tafsir or, or those who speak about tafsir uh, in, 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 in contemporary times, the ring structures of surahs. And this wasn't a concept discussed by the classical scholars to a great extent. Uh, yes, uh, there's some amazing books of Tafasid that do mention some fawaid. But to have a dedicated study towards what is quote-unquote called today uh, the ring structure of surahs, where you know uh, you look at the beginning of the surah and the end of the surah, and you say, look, how, uh, how the beginning is related to the end, even though the messages are different, or how this surah is related to the surah before it, and related to the surah after it, or the end of one surah is related to the beginning of one surah, or like for example, in Ayatul Kursi, if you, if you count back the ayat, and you count front the ayat, you will see the last ayah has correlation to the first. These ring structures structures that subhanAllah have come about, you've seen that some of these books have been written by non-Muslims. Right? And obviously they were writing it not to grow people's iman. Right? But there were some, some wrote it to, um, as, a, as a scholarly works related to the Arabic language. Uh, some wrote, wrote it uh, to help uh, other Orientalists in their study of the Qur'an. Right? So some haven't been written by Muslims, subhanAllah. And even this didn't benefit them. But you and I picked up the book and we read it and we said, La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. Right? Allah uses who He wants to grow our understanding of His book. Allah uses who He wants, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to grow our iman uh, using His book. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Amin. So, uh, this is pertaining to uh, the first uh, revelation. And the correct um, opinion is that Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq was the first revelation that came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, in terms of the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it happened in stages as well. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, first gave him prophethood and then made him a messenger, as we've discussed. And then when Allah made him a messenger, Allah first commanded him to take the da'wah to his closest ones. The closest people, Khadija radiallahu anha, the closest people around him. Uh, and his closest friends, he went to Abu Bakr, he went to Ali, radiallahu anhum ajma'i. So, uh, it happened in stages. It wasn't just, you know, an announcement on the mountain from the outset. 
right? Uh, first, um, it happened in stages. So uh, even when he, when he became a messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he was told to propagate the message to the close ones. Charity begins at home, uh, as we say. And then after that, he was told to command his people towards La ilaha illallah. And we know the famous story that he stood up on a high place uh, that uh, overlooked the people and it was a common place for people to make announcements and he made his famous speech sallallahu alayhi wasallam in which uh, immediately immediately he started gaining enemies right so so the man sallallahu alayhi wasallam who was one known as the truthful one the, the 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 nice one the honest one the wise one Right, uh, the one of noble lineage, uh, within a few words became the cursed one. Right, we know uh, Abu Lahab. He he cursed Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam immediately after he called uh, the people to worship only one Allah. One Allah. So it's amazing, Subhanallah. You know uh, how people can be hooked onto misguidance. You know, some people say today that Subhanallah. Some people do things that are absolutely not perceivable. The mind knows this doesn't make sense. It's common sense, subhanAllah, but how can they not understand? Right? And the answer to that is, brothers and sisters, that look at Abu Lahab and look at the, the Quraysh. Right? They were worshipping stones that they were making. And it's not that it was, you know, some people practice misguidance as a side thing. No, this was the crux of their existence. Right? They were hooked onto this misguidance. Right? Common sense wasn't so common. It happens. This is, you know, if we cannot learn from history about, about people and the traits of people, then, you know, where are we going to learn from? Today we're too shallow. We never read the, the plight of the people of the past and we never ponder. And as I told you earlier, you know, as one of my mashayikh told me that today we are people who don't read. And when we read, we don't understand. And when we understand, we don't ponder and think. And when we ponder and think, we fail to apply, right? So there's this knock-on effect, right? A lot of the time we listen to a lecture, but we, we don't think it's a blank mind listening to the lecture. We might take notes, but those notes will never be read. I hope this doesn't happen with this class, right? Um, and, and as you know, we, we're trying to really help you all with the notes. But I hope it doesn't happen that we get back in September and then um, I ask a question that who looked at their notes in, after all these months and, and nobody writes back to me or, or, or uh, speaks back to me. Because we're too ashamed that we didn't. That's not the way of seeking knowledge. So today we are that, that, that people, right? We, 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 we've become, um, you know, unfortunately similar to uh, the way of those that doom and gloom came to. They just never used the brain that Allah gave them. So we, 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 we listen to a lecture, it's a blind listening. We're there for whatever reason Allah knows best. Then, uh, if we take notes, we never look at those notes. And we never ponder over those notes. Right? And obviously, if, the, if no one is pondering, then action is, is, is very little. I'm not being stereo-minded here, as I always say. We must never ever be stereo-minded. Because al-dhulm dhulumat yawm al-qiyamah. Right? Or, oppression is, a, is, 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 is from the darknesses of the day of qiyamah. I'm not saying that we all like that, but I'm saying, no doubt, uh, the trend is a large portion are like that. There's a lot of people who are watching a lot. And uh, as, as you heard me sp- uh, sp- um, speak in the speech in, in Qatar, when I spoke about uh, the celebrity fan culture in the da'wah, and, and, and that we should beware uh, of it, um, I said this, that today we, we live in, in, in an age where Islamic knowledge, subhanAllah, exists in quantities never seen before. And is accessible in ways never ever before. Our parents can be forgiven. 
But uh, we really don't have many excuses, right? Knowledge which we don't even want to us comes to us. Our phones beep with reminders. We don't even want our phones to beep with reminders and the reminders come. When I say we don't want to mean, I mean we're not looking for it. Yes, we appreciate it when it comes. But we're not even looking for it and the phone beeps and we open up our WhatsApp or whatever it is and we see, subhanAllah, he has a fa'idah. So Allah is bringing knowledge to us in, in ways like never ever before. In ways we cannot even imagine. But subhanAllah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. Right, where is the improvement? Surely, uh, when knowledge exists at this rate and quantity, the improvement or, or the status of the ummah has to be uh, a status never witnessed before. In, in, in terms of recent centuries, no doubt we'll never match the first centuries of Islam. But in, in, in the sense of, of, of recent times. But Allah, I was even pondering, you know, uh, most of the Islamic books that you and I have access to, walillahilhamd, even for those who speak Arabic, these books were manuscripts, were manuscripts, subhanallah, if you go back a, a hundred years or even less. They weren't published books. Right? Really. If, if, if you try and, and, and do a cursory study of the amount of books published in the last hundred years, meaning taken out from the manuscript format, manuscript format meaning... Uh, a format that well, number one is hard to read, number two is well protected in different museums and libraries given the nature of the paper and the ink and so on and so forth. Number three that the large majority didn't have access to. Besides a handful of people, perhaps you would count them on, your, on, on, on the fingers of your hand. If you look at the, at the books produced in the last hundred years, subhanallah, you can say this is like a golden year of ilm because it, you know, studying Islam became easy because of the publication of these books. Walillahi alhamd. Right? So, um, you know, subhanallah, we live in a golden age, in, in, relatively. Right? But where is the benefit? Where is the benefit? Where are we seeing the walking, talking Qur'ans? The walking, talking uh, narrations of the Prophet wasallam. We know a lot of narrations in our head. But subhanAllah, it's not crossing our collarbones. It's not entering the heart. And when it doesn't enter the heart, it doesn't become part of the limbs. Right? Because the heart is the control center of the limbs. So po- just ponder over this, my dear brothers um, and, 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 and sisters. So um, Rasulullah wasallam then brought this knowledge to his people and, and, and immediately he became the cursed one, he became uh, an enemy given how people uh, allow their minds to become shackled uh, and chained to misguidance. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that. Wallahi, uh, this should be a, a, a message to each and every one of us that you know what, even though we, we know our ideals and we believe in them, we shouldn't be closed-minded when sincere people advise us. We shouldn't be closed-minded. We shouldn't be those people, right? Uh, we should be people who are open-minded. Like Imam Shafi used to say, I debate my, my opponent knowing that I'm right, but uh, being open to listening to him if he pr- proves the truth. Right? This should be our way. Right? Because Allah could send us guidance and we don't want to be in a, sta- in a stage and, 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 and condition where we're too proud and arrogant. And indeed Allah doesn't love the arrogant. Right, so learn from this lesson because the Quraysh learned the hard way. Right, uh, the da'wah had to go on for twenty-three years before Makkah came uh, into the the hands of the Muslims, and and the Quraysh entered Islam. 
right? Um, and then again, many died upon disbelief, even after hearing Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if you look at the speed of Abu Lahab, in how he cursed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when this da'wah came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you can see that they just lack the ability to use their brains. Right? No, he never pondered over the message. Even though Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was strategic in how he presented the message. Right? Some of the books of Sira cite this. Uh, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam rhetorically approached them and said, If I told you that behind me, behind this mountain is an army and a well-prepared army ready to attack, will you believe me? They said, yes, we've known you never ever to speak a lie. Right? Look, subhanallah. They never, they never pondered over this when he then came with the follow-up and said, thus now, based on this, I'm telling you to worship only one Allah, not worship these idols. Immediately without thought, we see Abu Lahab cursing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, you know, um, being too quick to answer brothers and sisters is not a sign of, of intelligence. It's, it's quite frankly a sign of uh, stupidity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, protect us. And, and forgive the term. But this is the reality. And don't forget, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us one tongue and two ears. So that our listening is twofold. is two to one with relation to, to the tongue. And in front of the tongue, Allah placed our teeth. And in front of the teeth, Allah placed our lips. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places two gates before our tongue. Right? Gives you one tongue, or gives us one tongue, and then puts two gates in front of that tongue. Subhanallah. Two gates. And with our ears, Allah gives us uh, two ears with no gates in front of our ears. But subhanallah, today we're more than willing to block our ears. For, you know, we willing to put gates on our ears and we willing to release our tongue. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Look at the people of Nuh. Allah tells us about them that they would جَعَلُوا أَصَابِعَهُمْ فِي آذَانِهِمْ Right? That they would, they would block their ears. They would block their ears and let their tongues run loose, uh, cursing Nuh alayhi salam and mocking him and mocking his people and disobeying Allah and even challenging Allah. Allahul Musta'an. Allah, this, there's no place for takabbur and arrogance in our life, brothers and sisters. Wallahi, know this. Know this. You know, if, if anyone could, 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 could see into the grave and see what happens to a person after they put in the grave, Wallahi, they will realize. Wallahi, they will realize that the son of Adam has no leg to stand on when it comes to being arrogant. Wallahi, it's true. It's true. If we could see what happens to us after we die, Allahul Musta'an. What leg do we have to stand on brothers and sisters to be arrogant? And the worst arrogance is being arrogant in front of the truth. May Allah protect us. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. And and I'm going to just say one thing here, brothers and sisters. And this is a follow-up to the question that we answered at the end of our last session when I I spoke about, you know, in-laws and wives and so on and so forth. And um, we spoke about certain norms, certain norms that uh, chain us. They chain us. Right? We, we, we practice these norms even though they don't make sense. I know many are thinking here that, oh, alhamdulillah, we're not like the Quraysh. But brothers and sisters, we have this today. Where people follow norms, subhanallah, if they only use their brain in front of this norm, they realize that this norm doesn't make sense. It's common sense that it's wrong. You know, over and above the fact that religion came, revelation came to say that it's wrong. And subhanallah, we find people, even though there's revelation, even though their minds, if they used it, will prove that practice being wrong, we find them practicing it. 
So don't um, feel safe, brothers and sisters, in terms of this discussion and, 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 and safe from... Um, what's being said? No, uh, rather take this note and after the class ponder of it, ask yourself that subhanAllah, am I this person with a certain practices in my life? I'm just overseeing it. I'm thinking it's, it's, it's normal, but it's really abnormal and, and I've become blinded to how abnormal this is, right? Take this on brothers and sisters. Sit down and have a one-to-one with yourself and ponder over this. So then after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him to give this da'wah to his people, uh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened a new stage in the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and that was to give this da'wah to all the Arabs, not just the Quraysh, but all the Arabs, right? So... Uh, you find uh, the message going to Medina, going to uh, Ta'if, going to all the other places, right? Um, the da'wah then was now uh, spread out and it, 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 it sort of surpassed the sphere of the Quraysh. And then towards the end of the life of Rasulullah the uh, final portion of, of, of the stages of da'wah uh, opened and that was um, the da'wah being opened to everyone who lived on the face of this earth, whether they were Arab and, uh, and or oh, sorry, Arab or non-Arab, right? Because we know at the end Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent letters to different kings. Uh, and Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi actually discusses these letters. We won't go through them. But in his original book, uh, as he runs through the, the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he discusses the different letters that went to different kings and what those letters actually said. So this is a lesson, brothers and sisters, for you all, especially those who run da'wah organizations. Right? Have a strategy. You don't have to reach everybody at once. And you don't have to do all of everything at once. Strategize. Right? Um, you know, it, it, it's not that you are running at a low efficiency if your da'wah is only to your close ones. No. You might just be running at 100% efficiency. Given the stage of your organization and the maturity of it, for example. Right? Uh, some people think that, you know, at the beginning, if we do things for everybody, then this, these are great metrics. And I see it the other way. I see people who want to do too many things at once before their time as, um, as people who lack achievement. They're not achieving, they're lacking achievement, right? Because um, there's different ways of looking at the metrics, right? Um, and... Um, some people feel that, you know what, we, we, we gauge achievement by doing so many things at one time. And, and I normally say, no, doing one thing properly, the way it should be done, at a particular moment in time is more efficient. Is more efficient. This is the best way of working out metrics. You know, it's like us saying, for example, um, a person who only has two dollars, if he gives one dollar in charity, he is better, he is better than the millionaire who gave uh, 10,000 uh, or even a hundred thousand dollars in charity. Why? Why? From one angle, he's better. Because the person who had two dollars gave 50% in charity. And the person who had a million only gave 10% in charity. Right? And Allah is all just. Allah is all just. And it's Allah who gave this man two dollars and gave this other man a million dollars. Right? Normally we'd say, oh, well, the person who gave a hundred thousand is better than the guy who gave one. But I'm saying that's not necessarily so. That's not necessarily so. If you, if you flip the coin, you will see that the person who gave one actually gave 50% of his wealth in charity. So in reality, he gave more because his need to the dollar that he gave was greater to the other man's need to the hundred thousand that was given. 
Does that make sense, brothers and sisters? Right? So, um, ponder over these things, brothers and sisters. Just ponder uh, over these things that, you know, Rasulullah wasallam could have been given instruction to take this da'wah to everybody. But no, Allah made the da'wah last 23 years. Right? And, and, and uh, the da'wah being sent to everybody purposely was done towards the end. Yes, it went to Najashi, but that, that had a specific purpose because the Muslims were being persecuted. Right? And even then, even then, the Muslims just went to Habasha. They didn't give da'wah to Najashi. Right? The, Najashi called the Muslims in front of him when the Quraysh sent their contingent to spread propaganda about these Muslims in Abyssinia, in uh, this particular region. And Najashi gave these Muslims uh, their chance to speak. And this is where he came to find out about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? So even if we talk about Najashi, it wasn't da'wah going to Najashi. No, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent his people to go and uh, live there because he was a just king. Right? So remember brothers and sisters to always ponder regarding the metrics pertaining to efficiency. Not everything that you think is efficiency is actually uh, efficiency. You know, uh, I always tell our uh, Zad al-Ma'ad team uh, that one full cup is better than three half cups. And I learned this from my father. Hafizahullah, may Allah preserve him. Right? Having one full cup is better than having three half cups. Because, yes, three half cups equals one and a half cups of water. But they three incomplete cups. One full cup is, is less in quantity than three half cups. But it's a full cup. It's complete. You know, you can speak about it. You can pat yourself on the back about it. It's something done. You can put it away. And now you can move on to something else and focus on it. And complete it. But when you, when you shift your focus span across three things at once, then not everybody is able to maintain that quality. Not everybody is able to maintain that quality. And as uh, a wise man once said, that a candle illuminates. A candle illuminates. Right? It, 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 it illuminates. It lights up an entire space. But focused light is a laser. Focused light becomes a laser. And a laser can cut through steel. A laser can cut through steel. Ponder over these words, brothers and sisters, as we go for our break. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Hada wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and bless us all. Ameen, ya rabbal alameen. Brothers and sisters, just before the break, uh, we discussed the stages uh, of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's da'wah. And uh, now I just want to traverse through some of the names of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Remember, we just uh, have a run through and I said I'll keep it specific to certain things pertaining to him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, Ibn al-Qayyim in, in, in his original writing actually mentions these names and then has specific uh, sections pertaining to each name uh, and explains them. And um, there are books dedicated towards the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and uh, the evidences related to these names and um, uh, the meanings of these names and why he, he deserved uh, you know, these names, and they're absolutely fascinating books. Um, I'm not sure 
uh, of there being any book in the English language, Allah knows best. If somebody has come across anything, please uh, share this with me. But in the in in in, in the Arabic uh, sort of arena, um, there are many books. And Subhanallah, I tell you, you cannot help but tear when you read these type of books, and you know, become even more amazed about the Messenger. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So this is perhaps encouragement for those who haven't learnt Arabic to learn right? Because there's so many books that you can gain access to uh, MashaAllah Maybe in the future we can run a program dedicated to the names of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam All the names of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Are descriptive ones They're descriptive ones, right? Um, they're not just uh, proper names without meanings. They carry um, noble meanings, noble meanings. And uh, I spoke, I, I mentioned to you the, the name Muhammad, right, which was given to him by his grandfather. And uh, he actually gave him that name because he hoped that he would be the praised one. And we know that we have the name Ahmed, um, which uh, Isa alayhi, uh, alayhi mentioned regarding uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and and he being the prophet that will come after him uh, and this refers to uh, Ahmed the one who is uh, the most praised right or he's he's even more praised right and and they both these two words come from uh, the the root uh, letters ha mim and dal hamd which refers to praise which refers to praised now obviously, when we talk about the praise for Allah, then this is not just any praise as we discussed last week. Uh, the praise for Allah is, is specific and, 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 and uh, a praise that is coupled with love and, and exaltation. But nonetheless, in terms of the name Muhammad, it refers to the praised one in Ahmed, the one who is even more praised. right? Um, and these are two common names because Ahmed is mentioned in the Qur'an. Uh, and even Muhammad is mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Muhammadur Rasulullah. Uh, from the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, um, is Al Mutawakkil and Al Mahi and Al Hashir and Al Aqib and Al Muqaffi and Nabiyu Tawbah and Nabiyu Rahma and Al Fatih and Al Amin. These are just some names. Let me repeat them for, for, for Hisham so he can stick them on the whiteboard for the benefit of everybody. So from the names is Al Mutawakkil and Al Mahi. And Al-Hashir And Al-Aqib And Al-Muqaffi Al-Muqaffi Then Nabi Tawbah And Nabi Rahmah And Al-Fatih and Al-Amin. 
And again, these are just uh, some of the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Mutawakkil refers to uh, the one who was most complete in terms of putting his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most complete uh, in terms of putting his trust in uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, Allah says, وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكَّلِ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكَّلِ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ So Allah tells us that um, in Allah do the believers place their trust, and do those who place their trust, place their trust. They place it in uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was uh, the most complete in terms of putting his trust uh, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most complete. And we know, kana khuluquhu al-Qur'an, his character was the Qur'an. Uh, then al-Mahi refers to the eradicator. Um, and the one who removes uh, falsehood and removes misguidance, right? And removes that which um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes and removes uh, that which the previous uh, nations changed in terms of their revelation and also the one who comes with that which uh, abrogates, abrogates the previous um, Revelations, right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Qur'an. And the Qur'an is described as al-muhaymin. Wa-muhayminan Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the Qur'an as al-muhaymin. Uh, we can uh, loosely translate it as the overwhelmer. So the Qur'an overwhelms previous um, revelation. Right, so everything that the Quran uh, cites, which is different to what came before, then uh, we look at what the Quran says, and we consider the Quran to have abrogated that which came uh, before. So this is al-Mahi. Al-Hashir refers to the gatherer. Um, he gathers people upon goodness in this life, and um, uh, the people will gather around him on the day of Qiyamah. His Ummah. And he will have the most people gathered around him because he will have the greatest ummah. Right? Um, this is what Al-Hashir uh, refers to. This is what Al-Hashir refers to. Then we have Al-Aqib. Al-Aqib refers to the last prophet. Right? Or the one that comes uh, at the end of the other prophet. He's the one who came after. So he's right at the end. And uh, the same applies to Al-Muqaffi. It refers to uh, the one who is the seal or the seal of prophets. Al-Muqaffi refers to like uh, the, the one who closes prophethood, seals it. And we know that Rasulullah wasallam is the seal of uh, all prophets. And then we have Nabi Tawbah and Nabi Rahmah. He's, he's the prophet of repentance and he's the prophet of mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described him as merciful to the believers and he's the prophet that will beg Allah to shower upon uh, his ummah mercy and he begged Allah to shower uh, Allah's mercy on the ummah before he even passed away and he will intercede uh, on behalf of this ummah um, at the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day uh, of Qiyamah. On the day of Qiyamah. And um, this is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Nabi Tawbah, Nabi Rahmah, the Prophet of Repentance and the Prophet of Rahmah. Indeed, he asked Allah to forgive this Ummah and to protect this Ummah. Right? So he's the Prophet of Repentance. And we do know that uh, repentance was a mighty gift 
to the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for those who did the major sins, Allah uh, placed a tawbah, right, for the major sins. Right? And uh, if a person practices tawbah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would forgive this person and remove the record of that major sin of his records. And this wasn't exactly the case with Banu Israel or, or the nations that came before us. Right? Um, when they did a major sin, um, sometimes the repentance entailed them killing themselves. Right? So, uh, this was a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the ummah. And that's why he's known as Nabiul Rahman, Nabiul Tawbah, that he came with a specific mercy. And he came with Tawbah, this concept of repentance that the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam enjoys. That when they do a major sin, they have Tawbah to redeem themselves. Istighfar is generally there for the minor sins. But for the, for the major sins to be accepted, as we've discussed earlier, the concept of, uh, sorry, to be forgiven, for the major sins to be forgiven, forgive me brothers and sisters, for the major sins to be forgiven, the concept of tawbah has to come into play. And tawbah is an act of worship that has its conditions, and has its pillars, and has its processes. Right? That is a tawbah. Thus, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the tawbah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is al-fatih. Because indeed he is the opener to Jannah. And no one will enter Jannah before him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he is al-ameen, he is the trustworthy one. He never did any disservice or injustice to revelation. Rather, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam... Uh, revealed to us the message uh, with uh, integrity and honesty as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requested him to do. And that's why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be a witness, right? Uh, be a witness after he uh, revealed or delivered uh, the final sermon, after he delivered the final sermon. So these are, are some of uh, the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, there's some names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that um, are specific to him, to him, in terms of meaning, in terms of meaning. Like Muhammad, like Ahmed, like Al-Aqib, like Al-Hashir, like uh, Al-Muqaffi. Right? Uh, these are specific to him in terms of, of meaning, meaning uh, the most complete Meaning that can come with this term when applied to human being only belongs to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? Nobody can call themselves Muhammad and claim to be the praised one as Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was praised. Right? Nobody can do this. And um, there are certain names that we should avoid. It's dislike for us to name our children. Why? Because it's not true. Like for example, uh, Rusul or Rasul. Right? To name your child a Rasul. Even though linguistically, we, we, people who deliver the post are also known as messengers, they, they deliver our post, but generally we don't name our children Rasul intending people who deliver the post, right brothers and sisters? We call them Rasul in, with, with the title messenger, God sent. And this is not true. So we should avoid those names that, um, uh, you know, that really do not offer a fair description to the, uh, to, to the person being called that name. Even though we don't use it as a description, we use it as a noun. I'm not saying we should start changing our names. Uh, for those who already have those names or name their children with those names and understand and explain it to people that we're just citing it as a noun, not as a description. 
Right? It doesn't mean that if somebody's name is Rasul, that uh, they are described as God sent. No, they're just carrying it as a noun, uh, without the descriptive intent. Uh, we said with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his names are descriptive and the descriptive intent is meant. They're not just names without meaning because that wouldn't be befitting for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because a name without meaning actually lacks perfection. Perfection is in the name along with its meaning. Right? When you call Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-mutawakkil or you say from his name is his the mutawakkil and you intend the meaning, not just the noun without the meaning. Right? Because if you don't intend the meaning, this takes away from the completeness of the term. Right? I'm just going into a bit of uh, theology here in terms of the discussion. But I just want you to understand um, that when we give these names to Rasulullah wasallam, we intend the description more than just the name. And when we give it to people, yes, we intend the name more than the description. Or oh, I hope that is the case. And it has to be the case, my dear brothers and sisters, because then that would become a lie. If somebody, uh, for example, names their child Kalimullah, Kalimullah, the one who, who speaks to Allah and Allah speaks to, then this is incorrect in terms of description. But if somebody just names it as a noun to highlight that Musa was Kalimullah, then we say that even then it's disliked for you to give this, uh, to share this name uh, with your child. So we must understand that there's names uh, of the Prophet wasallam that are specific to him, definitely in terms of meaning. And no, no even other Prophet shared, shared it. Like no other Prophet was called Al-Aqib, no other Prophet was called Al-Hashir, no other Prophet was called Al-Muqaffi, no other Prophet was called Muhammad, and, and it meant in meaning, and Ahmad, and meant in meaning. Indeed, he's the most praised, more praised than the other Prophets. Um, uh, and uh, he has specifics that Allah has given him that no other Prophet uh, will have. As, as we said, he will be the opener. Uh, to the gates of Jannah. Then we have meanings that um, other prophets share with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in terms of, of uh, the descriptive uh, meaning, right? Uh, like for example, uh, Nabi, like for example, Abd, like for example, Rasul, like for example, Al-Shahid, uh, Al-Mubashir, Al-Nadhir, Nabiul Rahma, right? Um, these are shared. These are shared. Uh, even Nabi Tawbah uh, is shared because we know that Isa alayhi salam came with, with laws that were a completion to that which Musa alayhi salam uh, came with, right? Uh, when we talk about the Gospels um, uh, in modern day. So we, there are some names that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has that other prophets had as well. Right? Like Nabi, other prophets were titled with the title Nabi, other prophets were titled with the title Rasul, other prophets were titled with the title of Ash-Shahid, the witness, the one who, who, who is a witness over the people and them receiving the message. We know that uh, Isa will be questioned on the day of Qiyamah, right? regarding what he said to his people and the people's response to his message. Uh, like Al-Mubashir, the, bring, the bringer of glad tidings. This wasn't specific to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah says, Rusulam Mubashirina wa Mundirin. Or the warner, right? The warner was also a term shared between Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and other prophets. Allah says, messengers that brought glad tidings and um, uh, warned, right? Uh, so this wasn't specific to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It was shared by uh, other uh, messengers and other uh, prophets. So this is with regards to the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then let's move on to the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
With regards to the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, blessed him with, um, with many children, alhamdulillah. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tested him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with making all his children pass away in his lifetime besides one, and that was Fatima uh, radiallahu anha, who passed away six months after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave her that glad tiding uh, that she will be the first to join him after he leaves uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah gather us with him in Jannah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His first child, um, as many of the scholars of, of Sirah mentioned, was Al-Qasim. Al-Qasim. And uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had this kunya, uh, known as, or he was known as Abu Al-Qasim, the father of Al-Qasim. This is known as a kunya, which is common in Arabia. Right, so if a person has a child uh, called Abdullah, instead of calling that person by his first name, you call him Abu Abd- Abdullah, the father of Abdullah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was uh, called Abu Qasim, the father of Al Qasim, and that was his first uh, child. And this child passed away uh, as uh, you know um, at a very young age. At a very young age, some historians say that he pa- he actually lived till the point that he was able to mount um, a riding animal. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But many historians say that no, he he passed away as uh, a young boy. And then he had uh, Zainab. He had uh, Zainab. And um, some scholars say Zainab came before Al-Qasim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So then he had Zainab, and then he had Ruqayya, and then he had Umm Kulthum, and then he had Fatima. Right? Um, these were the daughters of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And after that, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was blessed with Abdullah, with Abdullah. And uh, the scholars of Sirah differ whether Abdullah was born before he became a prophet or after he became uh, a prophet. But what seems more correct, and Allah knows best, and this is the view supported by Malqaim rahmatullahi alayhi, that um, he was actually born after prophethood. So even after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa became a prophet, Allah tested him. Right? And... Um, some of the scholars actually uh, say, as we know, one of the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was titled with the title At-Tayyib and At-Tahir. At-Tayyib and At-Tahir. So some say that At-Tayyib and At-Tahir, which is uh, the pure and the clean, um, these were the titles of this particular child, uh, Abdullah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And then after Abdullah came Ibrahim came Ibrahim. And it is said that Ibrahim was born in Medina. Right? And Ibrahim was born uh, to uh, Maria Al-Qibtiyya. Maria Al-Qibtiyya. So, uh, these are the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And, and it's, it is said that he was actually, or um, Ibrahim was born in the eighth year after Hijrah. Right? And... Um, as, as I said, all the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away in his life, uh, except Fatima. Except Fatima, uh, she died six months after. Now, we do know that all the children were also given to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam via his wife Khadija. Uh, 
radiyallahu anha besides besides uh, obviously Ibrahim, right? Which Allah gave to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam via Maria al-Qibtiyah. So, uh, and, and also Ibrahim passed away when he was young. And there's the famous narration where uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ الْعَيْنَ لَتَدْمَعُ وَإِنَّ الْقَلْبَ لَيَحْزَنُ وَلَا نَقُولُ إِلَّا مَا يُرْضِ اللَّهِ That indeed the eye tears and the heart is sad, but we do not say anything except that which is pleasing to Allah. And the scholars have d- uh, derived from this narration that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not hold us accountable for that which you and I call human nature. Human nature, to feel sad. Al-Awsaf al-Jibiliyyah. Right? Um, feeling sad, crying. Allah will not hold us accountable, will not make us sinful, and will not consider us being sad as a means of lacking trust in Allah or lacking belief in Allah. No, my dear brothers and sisters. So, this is not the case. But Allah will hold us accountable for what we say and what we do. And that's why Rasulullah said that we will not say anything except that which is pleasing to Allah. Because when we say something, then uh, Allah will hold us accountable based on what we say. Right? And when we do something, some people start wailing and they start tearing their clothes and they start running like mad people up and down and so on and so forth. They lose their minds. When they start behaving in this fashion, then Allah will hold us accountable based on what we do and what we uh, say. Right? Um, So... The scholars have deduced this important point, and I think it's important for us to share it with the brothers and sisters here. Because, you know, a lot of the time this happens. Somebody passes away, we lose a job, uh, things happen, we, we feel sad. And some people say, no, you shouldn't cry and you shouldn't show sadness. This is a sign that, you know, uh, you, you're lacking trust in Allah, and this is incorrect. It's human nature to cry. In fact, if you don't cry, then there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you, and this could lead to a mental depression. May Allah protect. Right? The bo- Allah has created this body and tears uh, have a means of reducing stress. Right? And Allah knows best that the process of crying is, is therapeutic to many a people. We see people who subhanAllah, they go through extreme difficulty and when they cry, just because they cried a little bit, they feel better. So crying is from human nature. Allah created us, it's part and parcel of us. And it's incorrect to tell people not to tear. It's incorrect to tell people not to cry. Especially children. Especially children. A child might lose their father, might lose their mother. They might be 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old. Where they have this ability to understand and miss people. And now they're seeing their, their parent has passed away. And, and from the child's perspective, they're going to miss them. Yes, the child knows about Jannah. And maybe we taught the child about Jannah. But the reality is he's still a child. He, he understands that he's, going to, he's missed this person. Right? And then what happens is some people, when the child is there crying, we say, no, don't cry. I've actually heard adults tell children, don't cry because your mother will, will not be happy or your mother will feel more hurt. And this is incorrect, brothers and sisters. This is incorrect advice. This is wrong advice. This is, this is cultural, not Islamic. By no means and way and form. No. No. I, I was uh, at a funeral um, uh, last, subhanAllah, uh, last September. Right, so uh, a young uh, sister passed away. She was 32 years old or 33 years old. Subhanallah, she had this abnormal condition. May Allah grant her a grave, which is a garden from Jannah. And may Allah grant her Jannah. And may Allah protect her and shower ease upon her, her, her two daughters and her husband. She left two daughters. Uh, very young, I think, uh, six-year-old or seven-year-old and eight or nine-year-old. Uh, two, 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 two girls. And uh, I happened to be in Zimbabwe. I arrived from one of my trips 
and um, she passed away. She had an abnormal situation. When she gave birth to her second child, um, her heartbeat sort of lost synchronization uh, with her lungs, right? With her lungs. SubhanAllah, a very rare uh, situation. May Allah protect us. And there's no real way of curing it. So basically, the stress of birth um, caused her heartbeat to sort of come out of sync with the lung, with the, uh, the, the lungs, right? And those who are doctors here, I'm not sure if we have any doctors, will probably be able to, or will definitely explain this better than me. But this is what I understood. This was the condition. So what would happen is, uh, sometimes the heart would send blood to the lungs, but it wouldn't collect the oxygen. Which means that even while she's sitting, she would get out of breath because the heart would have to work faster. So basically, her heart is outliving her age. It's working faster than it should. Uh, and then obviously, you have to take medic. The, the only way, you, the only thing you can do here is 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 manage the situation. So uh, they have these things called beta blockers, which sort of reduce the speed of the heart to try and keep the heart in check. Because if it doesn't, then you get high blood pressure, so on and so forth. And to be honest, she was she, she was given, uh, I heard from the husband that she was actually given two years to live, but Allah blessed her with, I think about uh, seven years or six years after that condition was diagnosed. So anyway, uh, Allah blessed her to live enough to see her, her two daughters grow up. And I was there when uh, these children passed away. And obviously no one can prepare, oh, sorry, I was there when the mother of these children passed away. And there's no way you can prepare for this, my dear brothers and sisters. You cannot prepare for the situation. No matter how much reading you do, how much study you do, you cannot prepare yourself for the situation to, to, to meet two young girls who you know who have just lost their mother and had a close relationship with their mother. Uh, I was actually told by the community that the mother did everything for these children. There was such a great relationship. She would drop them at school, pick them up, do everything for these children, subhanAllah. You know, and uh, even when the mother became sick, uh, the child actually, one of the girls, the daughters actually said, Subhanallah, but who's going to cook for me and who's going to uh, uh, come to me? In, uh, may Allah honor you all when I'm in the bathroom. This is how children think. You know, when I'm in the bathroom, who's going to come and clean me? Right? These are children, they're innocent. Subhanallah. So obviously these are, Wallah, it brings tears to the eyes and sadness to the heart. As What happened to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Right? Children are a mercy. And they're zinatul hayati dunya. They're from the treasures and beauties of, of, of this life, right? But we should never let them swerve us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we discussed earlier how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Ibrahim alayhi salam with his child. So, um, you know, Allah tested me by being one of those that uh, the news was broken to regarding uh, this particular mother passing away. Right, the, the doctor came out uh, looking for someone to speak to, and uh, obviously there were a few members of the family there. But the doctor somehow felt that he wasn't too comfortable only speaking to those there, and somehow he saw me. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the beard. Maybe it was the thobe. Allah knows best. But the doctor asked me to come into the main room as well, and I, I felt that there's something something very abnormal here. Allah is the first time I've ever had this experience. And uh, the doctor said, I have some bad news for you, uh, so-and-so's uh, um, heart collapsed and I tried to resuscitate her, but it didn't work, I'm sorry, she's passed away. Subhanallah, wallahi, I cannot tell you, you know, you know when, when, when they say metaphorically, like you've been in the ring with Muhammad Ali and you faced one of his, his right hand punk, you know, punches, the, the punch that comes through. Subhanallah, you cannot prepare for this, the, the knock that I felt by hearing this, yani, subhanallah. Subhanallah, it's absolutely, يعني, it's a life experience. 
It's a life experience, right? And to be honest, the, 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 the girls, the daughters of this particular uh, person who passed away was outside. They were outside of the room. Now immediately, the mother-in-law went hysterical. Um, it's just natural shock, and the females feel the shock more. Uh, the sister-in-law went hysterical. Immediately they started saying, oh, you know, how are you sure? How could this happen? Oh my God, what am I going to say to the sisters? This is, this is human reaction, right? And uh, Allah blessed me, subhanAllah, at that moment. This was all new for me as well, but blessed me at that moment to just, you know, take control of the situation. And I immediately... Uh, started saying la ilaha illallah loud la ma'buda bihaqqin illallah loud whatever Allah does he does good I started saying it very loud to speak over their voices and obviously my, my what I intended here was to get my message into their ears so that they could calm down and not say anything that would displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know, I thought about it after. Obviously, we revise our 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 situation uh, afterwards. Like how did we because you want to be better Right, it's an it's an abnormal situation, and I was actually revising it, and I, and I, I thanked Allah and felt that it was guidance from Allah that I behaved in this way because obviously it's the first time, and um, obviously the first instinct that I had was to ensure that nobody said anything that displeased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So immediately, La ilaha illallah, inna lillahi wa inna hilayi raji'un. And you say it in the English language because people don't understand Arabic. They might know inna lillahi wa inna hilayi raji'un, but at that moment they're not feeling it. Right? So, um, Allah inspired me in this moment to take control of the situation and I started speaking, the, uh, saying this in a, in a louder voice and Alhamdulillah they calmed down and they just teared and teared and teared and, and, and then I, I asked them to, to calm down, to wash their faces because of the two girls outside, not to let them uh, see them like this because young girls will, will sense something happened. Um, and then subhanallah, they actually uh, asked the doctor to go see uh, this mother who's passed away. So the sister-in-law and mother-in-law went uh, to see. And subhanallah, you know, uh, the, the, the heart monitor, it was beeping. It was, it was actually beeping. Uh, not a beep of somebody who's alive, but a beep of somebody who's passed away. So subhanallah, out of shock, out of shock, the mother-in-law is actually saying, are you sure she's passed away? Look at that monitor and so on and so forth. And the doctor then asked the nurses to switch off the, the, the monitor. It's subhanallah, wallahi, I have never, ever, I'm not a medical doctor, so never even had to ever be in this particular scenario. Right? Um, but the point to mention here is human nature. That... The wrong thing to do would be to tell them don't cry. The wrong thing to do would be to tell them don't cry. The right thing to do is to harness the situation. Let them cry but not in a way that displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In any case, later on what happened was the children, obviously there's two young girls, subhanAllah, they came to find out that their mother passed away and immediately they started crying. Obviously, they never understood the, 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 the holistic meaning of passing away, but what they didn't know is they're going to miss their mother. And what happened was when I then arrived at the funeral home, I witnessed people stopping them from crying. I witnessed people telling them that if you cry, your mother's going to be hurt more and, and you shouldn't cry and your mother's going to be punished more. And SubhanAllah, I don't know where these uh, these these type of understandings come into people's minds and people's hearts and, and into communities, where they start saying things which Subhanallah ma anzalallahu biha min sultan. They say things which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala never revealed. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam teared for Ibrahim uh, his son, 
right? So uh, obviously, and the father was in shock. He was in his own world, and he asked me to take care of the two girls. And subhanallah, I was tested by Allah now, now to be with these two girls. What do you say to two young girls? It's a first-time situation for me as well. Wallahi, I'm sharing with you a personal story, and this is our last class before we go for a break, and perhaps, you know, uh, it can help us throughout the few months. Um, what do you do? It's a first-time situation, right? I am here with two young girls. And subhanAllah, what happened was, they, were, they had their iPad trying to remain uh, occupied, but they had pictures of their mother in the iPad. So I stepped out for a moment, I come back, I see them both crying. Uh, again, why? Because they're looking at pictures of their mother. And subhanAllah, I asked Allah for guidance and uh, I felt that Allah really helped me. What I did was I went and sat down with them and I said, why are you crying? And they just smiled with tears, obviously. Uh, obviously they respect, they, they knew who I was, they had this respect for me, the, the, the parents were bringing them to my programs or making them listen to my talk. So, and maybe their parents, subhanAllah, taught them uh, that, you know, this is someone who teaches about Allah and so on and so forth. So, so much respect. And Wallahi, my heart was aching because they're hurting, but they still offered that smile, subhanAllah. And they didn't want to speak, but they were tearing. So I wiped the tears off their, their face and I said, are you missing your mummy? You know? And I really felt this was guidance from Allah. Because what do you say? I said, are you missing your mummy? And they nodded their heads, yes. And I said, it's okay, you're allowed to miss your mummy. You're allowed to miss your mummy. It's a good thing that you miss your mummy. It means that you love your mummy, right? So every time you miss your mummy, it means that you love her. So never ever feel shy to miss your mummy. And if you want to cry, you can cry. Never feel shy of these tears, right? These tears mean that you love your mummy, right? And, 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 and whilst I let them cry, I told them, so, you know, what did your mommy teach you? Did she teach you about Allah? They said, yes. I said, did, they, did she teach you about uh, Jannah? They said, yes. I said, what did she tell you about Jannah? And then she, they started speaking now. Oh, and it's amazing. Children are so innocent. Wallahi. Immediately they start, their minds, you know, changed and the tears stopped flowing and they said, yeah, she taught us that Jannah has this, and has that, and has this, and has that. And then uh, um, I, I, I said, did your mommy want to go to Jannah? And they said, yes, she wanted to go to Jannah. I said, did she want you people to go to Jannah, you, you two girls? She said, yes, she wanted to go to Jannah. And I said, inshallah, your mommy's gone to Jannah. You know, that's where, 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 where she is. Right? Subhanallah, and I'm just sharing with you the story, because wallah, it means a lot to me. It was a, it, you know... A lot of people think that, you know, you're a sheikh, so you're a mechanic, you're a robot, you're not a human being. And uh, even this thing of saying you're a sheikh, wallahi, uh, the sheikh is the title, alhamdulillah. Uh, if, if people acknowledge your knowledge through it, as I said uh, last week, it's not that, you know, you sheikh so and so. It that doesn't mean that you have the title sheikh, that you, 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 you have the reality of being one. No, it's, it's, alhamdulillah, in our time, we call people doctor, we call people lawyer. And if someone has been blessed to study Islam, then out of respect, we, we call them... Sheikh, but I'm just paraphrasing what one of the youth uh, who's in attendance here today, one of our young boys in attendance here today said, you know, Sheikh, the problem is the Sheikhs, they, 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 they're like superhuman beings. They, they come across with no emotion. Uh, we can't relate to them. And we, uh, so, you know, we go through difficulties in life and we don't think that they go through those difficulties and thus we don't have them uh, to take guidance from. And um, wallahi, maybe the advice of this young boy is getting to me. So I'm sharing with you something personal. 
that, you know, me, myself, alhamdulillah, with the knowledge that Allah has given me over the many years of study, over the many years that Allah has put me in a dedicated fashion in front of some of the best minds of our time, some of the best teachers of our time. Wallahi, I will be honest with you, nothing prepared me for the situation. Nothing can prepare you, you know, in, in, in totality. Yes, you have some preparation, but nothing can prepare you in totality to hear from a doctor firsthand that this person has passed away. And nothing can prepare you to deal with the aftermath. Uh, of two young girls that were so close to their parents uh, and to their mother especially, right? So I'm sharing with you something personal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here I feel uh, inspired me and guided me towards telling them to cry and it's okay to cry. And, And the reason why I forcefully said this is because I know prior to this people were telling them not to cry. Now you don't want to do this brothers and sisters. You don't want to be telling children not to cry because if you do so they'll think it's bad. And if they think it's bad they won't do it in front of you. Because they're scared of you. So they'll do it in private. And if they don't have enough private time, then it'll just end up becoming something bottled and bottled and bottled. And then they'll end up becoming people who are, you know, insular. They only have comfort with themselves. They don't want to be with people. They want to separate from society. And this is not healthy for their development, and not healthy for their progress, and not healthy for their features. So sometimes, brothers and sisters, we should really, you know, educate ourselves. We've been talking about education in a large way, but even with regards to this, we should educate ourselves. Let's not speak things which we don't know. Because sometimes we can really uh, end up messing up an entire child's life because we gave them the wrong advice. Because we uh, dealt with them in a way that was not upon the ideal. Because we thought we knew too much and we didn't care to seek advice from a professional, for example. Right? So don't be a means towards messing, and forgive the colloquial uh, uh, word here, messing. But I want you to just drive the point home. Right? That don't be a means of spoiling somebody's life, my dear brothers and sisters. Right? Don't come about with things that ma anzalallahu biha min sultan, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not reveal. Right? Study the life of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. See how he reacted to things. And, 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 and understand that he is the perfect guide for us in everything. He teared sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as an adult. So what about a child? What about a child, right? So anyway, this is just a personal story that I'm sharing with you to highlight this point that we are allowed to practice human nature because it's human nature, it's beyond us. If we try to subdue human nature, then we are making ourselves something else. It's from human nature to cry. It's from human nature to feel sad. But Allah will not hold us sinful for tearing and for being sad. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold us accountable for is if we say and do that which contradicts what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not tell us you're not allowed to cry. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not tell us you're not allowed to be sad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said you must not say that which is disbelief. And you must not act in a way as if you disbelieve. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. Uh, the scholars, uh, brothers and sisters, just moving on very quickly, they also discuss um, uh, the best females. Uh, the best uh, females. And um, some scholars have said that Fatima radiallahu anha was the best female. And some said, no, it was Khadija radiallahu anha. And some say it was Aisha radiallahu anha. And then there's a fourth view where the scholars say, we don't have a view here. It's called At-Tawakkuf. At-Tawakkuf is when the scholars say, we, we can't say for sure. Uh, there's evidences 
that, that show, uh, you know, uh, the nobility of Aisha, the nobility of Fatima, the nobility of Khadija, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. Thus, we don't uh, say one was better than the other. Rather, we just stop and say they all have uh, narrations that testify to their uh, noble way. But I'm just citing this for you because Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi alayhi, has mentioned it in his main book and also uh, because Fatima, radiallahu anha, is part of it and she was from uh, the daughters of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi uh, wasallam, sallallahu alayhi uh, wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with him uh, in Jannah. Ameen. As for the uncles of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he had many uncles from them, was Hamza, um, the, the, who was titled the Lion of Allah and the Lion of his Rasul, of his Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, and then Al Abbas, and the famous Abu Talib. And who knows the name of Abu Talib? Does anyone know the name of Abu Talib? We always know him as Abu Talib. Abu Talib means the father of Talib. But what was his name? The scholars of Sira say that his name was, was, was Abdu Manaf. Was Abd Manaf. Abdu Manaf. This was uh, the name of Abu, Tal- uh, Abu Talib. Also from the uncles of Rasulullah wasallam was Abu Lahab, his, his fierce enemy. And the one who harmed him so badly, uh, him and his wife. Right? He was an uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now you tell me, brothers and sisters, what can make blood harm blood? Right? Subhanallah. May Allah protect us from misguidance. And uh, he had many other uncles, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but these are from uh, the famous uncles. I did tell you when we were discussing the importance of the Kaaba uh, that one of the uncles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was actually Abdul Kaaba. Was actually Abdul Kaaba. So they would even uh, name their children uh, the servant of uh, the Kaaba. As for the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then his first wife was Khadija radiallahu anha, and he had all his children with her except his son Ibrahim, as we said, and she was the great supporter uh, of of his sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and as uh, we've always said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly prepared Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for prophethood uh, even in uh, who he allowed to be the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and this teaches us brothers and sisters the importance of choosing the right wife um, uh, this is especially for the males choosing the right wife and also for the females choosing the right husband Right? Because we all have a vision, or we should have a vision. We should have ambition. We should uh, have this view of the world that you and I seek to create. Right? We're not here just to waste time on earth. Right? We have to bring value, and we spoke about bringing value before. And we said that uh, each and every one of us have to ask ourselves, right, what value are we going to bring here? Is it going to be that we just came and went, and, and, and the earth didn't even feel us? This is not the way of a believer. So everyone has the ambition of the world that they seek to create. Everybody um, uh, has uh, or should have should have uh, a world that they seek to create, a world that they would like to see when they are on their deathbed. Right? This is when you bring value. And, and um, you know, the, the ummah should miss you when you pass away. It shouldn't be that you pass away and nobody misses you. You know, today sadly, the only, in, in most cases, we can only share the examples of, for example, what will the world miss if Coca-Cola left? What will the world miss if Microsoft left? Will, will the world miss anything, for example, if, if Microsoft disappeared? What do you think, brothers and sisters? If Apple disappeared, will the world miss anything? Yes or no? Exactly, right? So, the world will miss 
uh, a lot, right? So what will the world miss the day you go, right? So in your journey, you have to make correct decisions in everything that you do. From those decisions is the major decision of who you choose to settle down with, right? You have to settle down with somebody who will be conducive to your journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This has to be the case, that you settle down with somebody that is conducive uh, in your journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Khadija radiallahu anha was definitely conducive in the Prophet's journey uh, and in that which he had to do, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We know what a great support she was to him, a major support from the beginning. From the time she believed in him when he came scared and saying, I saw what I saw, and she said those words, golden universal words, well, that Allah will never ever disgrace you. Don't worry about it. Whatever you saw, there's a reasonable explanation. You know, some of us will say, are you hallucinating? You know, are you seeing things? What are you talking about? This supernatural thing. Nobody sees these kind of things. Are you okay? Are you taking your vitamins? Right? We'll immediately saying, how's your vitamin D brother? Right? Do you need to see, the, let's go for a blood test. Uh, subhanallah. Here Aisha, uh, Khadija radiallahu anha immediately believes him and says you, she, she mentions all the wonderful things that he does and says Allah will never disgrace you. And she comes with the solutions. Let's go to my, uh, uh, someone close to me who reads the scriptures of the previous prophets and he'll be able to help. So amazing team player, right? She, she calms the situation and comes with the solution, right? So this was Khadija radiallahu anha, the most conducive partner to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, especially at that part of his journey. Remember, uh, at that moment, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was only looking up. He was right at the bottom looking up. He was starting the journey. So he needed a mighty, mighty, mighty supporter. And our closest supporters are our spouses. And there was Khadija radiallahu anha. And as we said, he missed her a lot. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even after she passed away, he would hear the voice of some of her friends and remember uh, his wife. Khadija radiallahu anha. And this is when we talk about marriages that uh, last a lifetime. You know, marriages which last a lifetime. You know, where, where you miss your spouse, even if you marry after she passes away, but you still miss her. And you make dua for her. Right? And, and, and a wife misses a husband after he passes away, even if she remarries. But she misses him. That's what you call growing in love. You grow in love with each other. You grow uh, in love with uh, each other. And, and, and when we say growing in love, it lasts till the, day, till the day you die as well. Even if Allah takes them to Allah earlier. Right? This is the reality when you have a ma- an amazing marriage which begins by choosing the right female to marry and the female choosing the right husband uh, to marry. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Last week, we, we, the, 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 the last question we spoke about was do, uh, does our wife have to live with our parents? And um, some of the students actually, it came to my attention that some of the students actually recorded uh, that particular answer and then used it in a way that I did not uh, intend uh, I believe it, 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 it started flying around um, with, with uh, you know, a portion that would give one the impression that I was saying that uh, our wives do not have to be dutiful to our in-laws, uh, full stop. Right? No, and that wasn't the case. So brothers and sisters, please, um, you know, it, 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 I know you didn't intend any harm, and I know some people obviously are going through their own circumstances and situations, but it shouldn't be the case that uh, we uh, record something and then spread it in uh, the way that it was unintended. 
and, and, and out of good manners and courtesy, if you have recorded something and want to spread it, then it's good manners to ask um, the owner of the statement first. So, you know, write a message to me, Alhamdulillah, you all have access to me, Walillah Alhamd, uh, via the forums. You write in and you say, look, uh, this is what I want to do, can I? And then I can advise, right? Because the last thing anyone wants is uh, to teach people about Islam, and then those lessons are used to, to cause harm. Right? And um, don't take this lightly, brothers and sisters. Some marriage is going to disarray because of uh, the fiqh view that you don't have to be uh, uh, dutiful to your, to, to your in-laws. It actually goes into disarray where, where wives take a stance and they, they stand in front of the, 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 the wish and will of the husband and say, no, we will not do it. We don't have to and we're not. And it's not disrespectful. And then it becomes an ugly situation. No, uh, when the scholars discussed, it, discussed this, they discussed it in a particular way. And it's not as if they didn't advise to certain ideals. And it's wrong to take one part of the sharia without understanding that part in light of other parts. And I spoke to you last week about extremism. And extremism happens when you end up taking one part of the Sharia and you refuse to understand that part in light of other parts. The Sharia is a whole. Now, uh, what I did do, brothers and sisters, is I have made um, a recording about this issue, uh, this issue or this question that was asked, Does our wi- or do our wives have to live with our uh, in-laws? And inshallah on Monday, uh, that clip will be, uh, that video will be released and it will be sent to you all. Uh, inshallah, and I want you all to have a watch. In, in about 17 to 18 minutes, uh, I discuss uh, the matter. And, and, and I, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant me uh, balance in the discussion, and I pray that there is balance there. So, um, inshallah, on Monday, uh, Brother Hisham will send out a link to every one of you all for you to view, and that link is the answer. Uh, to uh, the last question that was asked uh, last week. Um, it's quarter to 11 and uh, by default we should go into Q&A. But given that this is the last session, let's just uh, continue a little bit. I do want to finish uh, this particular portion uh, before we close uh, for the summer break, inshallah. The, uh, the next wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was Sauda. Was Sauda. Um, and Sauda bint Zama'ah. Al-Qurashiyah, she uh, was the wife that actually gave her night up to Aisha radiallahu anha. She gave her night to Aisha. Because she knew that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loved Aisha radiallahu anha. And so she, she gave her night to Aisha radiallahu anha. And this way Aisha radiallahu anha had two nights with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whilst the other uh, wives besides Sauda had one night. Because Sauda gave up uh, her night. And the scholars have deduced from this the permissibility of a female giving up some of her rights. If she fears that her husband will uh, divorce her. This is just a thick discussion, by the way, right? So sometimes a female feels that my husband's going to divorce me for some reason or the other, and it's better for me to be in the marriage than being out of the marriage. So then she, she gives up her rights, her rights to being housed, for example, her rights to being uh, clothed or fed, for example. She gives up some of her rights. It's, it, uh, the scholars have deduced the permissibility of uh, doing so. But this doesn't mean that if you give up the right, that you can't take it back. This is what, and this is a point of discussion between the scholars, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best this is what seems um, a balance in terms of the views. That even if you give up this view and you want to change your mind, you can change your mind. Why? Because it's a, it's a right that Allah has given you. The sharia has given you this right. The right to being fed, clothed and housed. And the right to having your, your night in the case of uh, you being married to a husband who, who has more than one wife. Right? So it's a, it's, a, it's a right given to you by the Sharia. So you can choose to pause that right. And you can choose to play 
Is that right? So uh, according to the correct view, and Allah knows best, that when you do give up that right, then uh, if a time comes when you feel you'd like to put that right into practice and play again, then you may. Then you may. It's not that you gave it up, so it's cancelled for good. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. This is again is just a footnote. Then we have Aisha radiallahu anha, and she was a special wife, and uh, she was uh, the virgin wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam towards marrying her from uh, above the seven heavens because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the inspiration uh, to marrying Aisha radiallahu anha by um, him seeing uh, a vision. Him seeing a vision vision, and uh, that vision entailed... um, An angel actually um, teaching Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about this command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, as uh, the scholars of tafsir say, by holding a type of uh, goblet with silk. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So uh, it was understood from this vision, this goblet with silk, the purity of Aisha radiallahu anha, and the instruction to, um, the instruction to uh, marry her. Uh, anha. And uh, he married her sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Shawwal, as the scholars of Sira say, while she was six years of age, and he consummated the marriage with her uh, as well in Shawwal, um, in uh, the first year after Hijrah, whilst she was nine years of of age, so and and as the scholars say, uh, the scholars of Sira say that um, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam never married a virgin besides her. So she was the only uh, virgin uh, wife that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam had. And revelation would not come to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he was in the home of any of his wives besides the home of Aisha, uh, radhiyallahu anha. So she was special uh, in regards to this. And, and we do know that we also have ayat in the Qur'an. We have ayat in the Qur'an specific to Aisha uh, in the story of the ifk, right? When she was accused of doing something which she would never do, radiallahu anha, and Allah revealed uh, to purify her. So she is special because of uh, this. In fact, you know, the wives used to, uh, we, we, if, if you ponder over the seerah and some of the narrations, you would see there was this competition between the wives. With regards to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, no doubt. Um, and, and, and even, you know, with regards to the religion, because we know that one of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and will come to her, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala married her to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from above the seven heavens. Right? And, and she has ayat in the Quran. So she would actually boast to the other wives and say, you know, you, uh, with regards to all of you, you know, uh, Allah subhanahu, uh, your families married you to the messenger. But with regards to me, Allah married me to the messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, you know, they would all take their pride and, 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 and look at... Um, uh, their specific and unique uh, clauses and cases and, and put it in front uh, of the other wives. And, and we know that Zay, obviously with regards to Zainab, there's an ayah in the Quran as well. So she was proud because of this, that she had an ayah as well. And then when the ayah came down uh, to, uh, later with regards to Aisha radiallahu anha, then Aisha radiallahu anha now had the, 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 the importance and privilege of having an ayah that will be recited till the day of Qiyamah uh, about her uh, radiallahu anha. In any case, that's just... Um, um, a, a nice to know. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with our mothers in Jannah. Thereafter, Aisha radiallahu anha, we have Hafsa. Hafsa. Hafsa bint Umar ibn al-Khattab 
radiallahu anhu. So uh, Hafsa then became the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we know, uh, you know, the relationship between Hafsa and Aisha radiallahu anha. And Hafsa was not also very old. So, you know, um, that tendency of being kind to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and competing. So they had their rivalry there. Uh, Hafsa and Aisha radiallahu anhuma. And um, through this, uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu became the... Uh, imagine the father-in-law, right? The father-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a human being. He had father-in-laws, he had mother-in-laws, and so on and so forth. Right? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu became his father-in-law as well. Right? I'm just highlighting this because the question was about in-laws and wives and in-laws, right? So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also had in-laws. Then after Hafsa, we have Zaydab bint Khuzayma. And uh, or, or her, uh, she's better known as, as Zainab bin Khuzayma ibn al-Harith, right? And um, she was from the children of Hilal ibn Amir. Um, and this was a wife from the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then we have the story or, or, uh, or the famous story of Umm Salama, where Umm Salama became uh, the next wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, basically Umm Salama, she had an amazing husband known as Abu Salama. And um, her full name was Hind bint Abi Umayyah. And she was Al-Qurashi, she was Al-Qurashiyah, she was from the Quraysh. And... Um, she was um, the wife of Abu Salama radiallahu It is said, it is said that Um Salama was the last of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to have uh, passed away. Right? Now, uh, her story is that she lost uh, obviously her husband and she was very sad and she became, you know, it was extremely difficult for her. Uh, she was, it was extremely difficult for her and she thought, you know what, you know, um, you know, she, she had her children, it was tough, she loved her husband dearly. And in her mind, there was no one better than uh, Abu Salama, uh, radiallahu anhu. And then she was taught this dua, this dua that, uh, you know, when you go through a difficulty, then uh, you, you, you make this dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, oh Allah, uh, ease my affairs in this difficulty, or assist me through the difficulty that I'm going through, and, and give me uh, in, in, uh, as a replacement to what I've lost something better. I'm paraphrasing the dua. Right, so uh, some of the scholars of of Sirah uh, state that she would make the du'a that, "Oh Allah, please ease uh, my affairs and help me during this difficulty." But she found it difficult to say and give me better uh, than what I've lost. Why? Because she felt that there was nothing better than uh, nothing better than uh, um, Abu Salama, radiAllahu anhu. But because she knew that this was a teaching from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this shows submission to the will of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and this is what Islam is, right? Islam is about istislam and submitting to the will of Allah subhanahu wa taala. She went ahead and said, "Wakhlufni khairam min," that and Allah give me um, uh, as a replacement to what I've lost something better. And uh, the scholars of Sirah say that after she said this. A knock was heard and a messenger came with the proposal of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How amazing uh, is that? How amazing is that? Subhanallah. Right? So, uh, this is what happens brothers and sisters when you follow the sharia for the sake of Allah and put your trust in Allah. This is a moment of tawakkul. Where you say, you know what? 
whatever it means to me, I'm going to follow what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. I'm going to do that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed. And then she goes on to say that subhanallah, yani, I thought there can be no one better than, um, uh, than uh, Abu Salama. And I get uh, a proposal to marry the, pro- the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And after her idda, uh, she was married to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They differ as to who got her married. Because we know that every Prophet, need, uh, every uh, sister or female needs a wali. Needs a wali. So who got her married? To the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Was it Umar ibn al-Khattab? As some narrations say. Or was it uh, because Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu was actually, or it stated that he was, um, he was her cousin. He was uh, her cousin. Uh, her paternal cousin. Or was it Umar, her young son? Uh, and what's more clear, uh, Imam Ahmed supports the view that it was a young son, but the scholars say that he was too young to be someone who could marry uh, his mother to the Prophet wasallam. And perhaps uh, Imam Ahmed didn't get the narration that described the age of uh, Umar, the son of Um Salama uh, anha. So uh, that's why he supported the view that it was a son. But what's clear, what seems more plausible is that it was, uh, it could have been Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anha, paternal cousin. Uh, in any case, this is a discussion between the scholars and it is a long one. Uh, but in reality, Al-Nabiyu uh, Awla uh, the, the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a precedence above the rest of the believers, right? So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam doesn't need someone to have a wali for him to be married uh, to, uh, for, his, uh, for, for her to become his wife. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam can be the wali and get the female married to him. This is a special rank and, and precedence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to um, um uh, sorry to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So irrespective of the difference of opinion, uh, the bearing uh, in terms of this marriage of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to her is very little. Why? Because in the first place, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam doesn't require a female to have a wali because he is uh, a wali in the first place. Um, so he doesn't require her to have a wali in in in, in the marriage uh, between himself sallallahu alaihi wasallam and her. Okay, then the next wife after that was Zainab bint Jahsh. And um, it is said that uh, she was the daughter of his maternal uh, aunt. The daughter of his uh, maternal aunt. And this was the Zainab I was speaking about earlier. Zainab bint Jahsh. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an ayah about her in his book in Surah Al-Ahzab. Uh, ayah number 37. فَلَمَّا قَضَى زَيْدٌ مِّنْهَا وَطَرَى زَوَّجْنَاكَهَا and obviously there was uh, there's a story behind this why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala got uh, Zainab uh, married to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This was to dispel uh, this concept of adoption, right? Because we know that Zainab was uh, married to... Um, uh, Zainab was married uh, to Zaid and uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, considered uh, Zayd to be his son. That's the, the love that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had for Zayd. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, revealed a revelation, right? To say that we should uh, call people by the names of their fathers and hold them true to their lineage. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed uh, uh, ayat which cancelled out this concept of what we say in the Arabic language, At-Tabanni. Right? At-Tabanni which is this concept of adoption, 
where you take a child and you give the child your name. This is not allowed. In Islam, we are fostering. And fostering comes with these rules and regulations. But to, to adopt a tabanni where you make this person your child and give this person your name and then the child grows up and uh, we say that this child can ma- marry your daughters, for example, or there's no hijab between this child and your wife, for example, this is incorrect. This is not from Islam. Because this child uh, has his own lineage and from the objectives of the Sharia is to protect lineage. And it was the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused all the sons of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to pass away uh, early or before the death of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So nobody could claim prophethood to another person after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And we know the fitna between uh, the, the Shia now and, and, and Ahl al-Sunnah with regards to Ali. Uh, and he was a cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So imagine what the fitna would have been had there been uh, a Zayd ibn Muhammad through adoption, if, if Zayd took this name, for example, or had any of the sons of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lived. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed laws putting everything back into perspective. Uh, and then to further prove that Zayd was not the son, Allah subhanahu uh, obviously uh, Zainab was the wife of Zayd. So um, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, commanded that this divorce happens between uh, Zayd and Zainab. And then when Zainab uh, radiallahu anha finished her idda, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala married her to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This way nobody can say Zayd was a son. Because if he was a son, you wouldn't be allowed to marry uh, his wife. Right? Um, so, um, this was the wisdoms behind this particular story. Then we have the wife known as uh, Juwayriya, and then we have Um Habiba, uh, radiallahu anhum uh, ajma'een, and then we have uh, Safiya, uh, Safiya, and Safiya was uh, considered to be a very uh, pretty female, uh, radiallahu anha, and she was a wife of a prophet because she was the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she was also a daughter of a prophet because she comes from the lineage of Prophet Harun, the brother of uh, Musa alayhi salam. Right? So she comes from this lineage. Many people perhaps uh, do not know this and Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi highlights this in um, highlights this in, 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 in Zad al-Ma'ad. And in fact, uh, with regards to Safiya, uh, obviously she was taken as a captive. Right, so she was uh, taken in as a slave, and uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam married her and made her mahar her freedom, her freedom. And the scholars have deduced from this the permissibility of of, of paying as a mahar uh, a female's freedom. That if she is a slave, you say your mahar is that you will be free. You won't, you will not be considered a slave anymore. So even if the you know uh, within the marriage and outside of the marriage, right? And obviously this is in the system of slavery, the system which has been uh, abolished uh, today. In fact, there's a long Islamic discussion regarding slavery in Islam, but uh, this is not the place for it. Perhaps in the future, if you remind me, we can discuss it. Inshallah. Then after uh, Sophia, we have Maymuna. Uh, Maymuna and Maymuna uh, got uh, the, the marriage between the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and Maymuna radiyallahu anha happened after the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam came out of uh, ihram because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam married her after uh, he completed his umrah. 
right? Uh, Umratul Qadha, meaning uh, remember that the Muslims went for Umrah and then the Quraysh uh, prevented them from coming. Uh, and then it was agreed that the Muslims would come the following year. So when the Prophet ﷺ went to complete that Umrah the following year, after that Umrah he married uh, Maymuna. Uh, there's a difference of opinion between the scholars. Why? Because we have a narration of Ibn Abbas that says the Prophet ﷺ married her during his Umrah. But this is incorrect because we know that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, made forbidden anyone uh, getting married during uh, or whilst they're in the state of ihram or being a wali whilst they're in the state of ihram, meaning they're not allowed to marry other people nor are they allowed to get married. Uh, this is from the things that are not allowed during uh, the state of ihram. And we know marital relations is also not allowed uh, during the state of ihram. So, um, Ibn Abbas's uh, narration here is not considered. And the scholars explain that Ibn Abbas was only 10 years old when um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa married Maymuna. So, he probably narrated that which he perceived. Right? He perceived uh, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was still... Um, you know, in the state of ihram. He was a 10-year-old per, uh, a boy. And he perceived that Rasulullah was in the state of ihram when in reality he was not. So the correct opinion is one is not allowed to get married in a state of ihram. And the correct opinion with regards to Maymuna was that he وسلم, married her after, after, uh, ihram, after ihram. But you know, we take pride from this. Look at Ibn Abbas, radiallahu the bravery to narrate what he saw. And to teach us how conscious he was of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as this young 10-year-old boy. And that is why it's incorrect to compare a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old of before to today. Or a 10-year-old of, of, in one demographic uh, location to a 10-year-old in another demographic, uh, demographic location. And this is why the whole uh, discussion about the Prophet ﷺ marrying Aisha radiallahu anha from uh, the world view of the Westerner and what they consider uh, pedophilia is a flawed discussion. Is a flawed discussion. Because females matured far quicker then. And if we consider that Aisha radiallahu anha was only 18 years old when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa passed away, and she narrated the most ahadith from the females and was a pillar of hadith in the era of the Sahaba, then يعني, what more do you need to be convinced that we were talking about a whole different scene? Right? We're talking about a whole different scene. And I, I, I literally view the discussion when you start comparing a nine-year-old from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to a nine-year-old today, similar to somebody saying they want to compare Adam alayhi salam to a human being today. Or the people of Ad and Thamud to a people uh, today. There's no comparison. We know that Adam alayhi salam was, was bigger than, than, than a few football pitchers. Right? Alayhi salam. He was 60 cubits in height. Right, and in fact, uh, in, in, um, uh, I think it was in Saudi Arabia. Oh, they actually tried to make a thobe, the thobe of Adam alayhi salam, based on uh, what we find re- related to his description in the Sunnah. Right, and it, just Google it. Try and, and Google the the, the the shirt of Adam, and see what comes up. They needed an entire crane and football pitch to raise this thobe above, which means Adam alayhi salam would take half a step and he would have completed a football pitch. Whilst the footballer today needs to run and sprint and, and become out of breath to get from one end to the other end. 
and, 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 and then we want to compare the past to the present. So it's a different thing. So uh, you cannot compare a nine-year-old girl of before to a nine-year-old today. Just like, for example, our grandmothers, what they uh, could do at 15 and 16 years of age, the girls of today perhaps can't. We know that some people have grandmothers that were married at 16 and 17. But today you wouldn't, you wouldn't even consider it because the maturity level of the female is not the same as before. And this is a space of a few decades that we're discussing. So what about uh, when we discuss the difference between a few centuries? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So, um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married uh, Maymuna radiallahu uh, anha. <coughs> It is said, brothers and sisters, that from the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, MashaAllah, Abdul Mateen has actually seen the picture and, and, and he's, he's in shock. He's in great shock. He's saying we are like ants in front of it. Tayyib, uh, I'm going to end just now, brother Hisham. Hisham's giving me a red card. Uh, he's telling me the time's up. I know it's up. This is our last lesson. lesson. Please bear with me, brothers and sisters. Um, the, 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 there is a disputed uh, view that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a wife known as uh, Rayhana. Uh, this is uh, disputed between the scholars and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But what there's no difference of opinion uh, about is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had... Um, nine wives when he passed away, or he passed away uh, on nine wives. Uh, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa taala gather us with Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and our mothers in Jannah. Amin. Brothers and sisters, this brings us to the end of um, season one of year one of provisions for the hereafter. Alhamdulillah. Uh, all together we've completed nine lessons with the introduction and uh, we've learned much about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and inshallah have great love for him uh, and inshallah are ready to learn from his guidance. Uh, Ibn al-Qayyim has mentioned much much more really uh, but if we look at the book that we're studying which is a summarized version uh, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahmatullahi alayhi goes straight to the Prophet's guidance with regards to wudu when we come back inshallah at the, uh, uh, for, for season two of year one uh, which will be after the Hajj, insha'Allah, uh, I will share with you uh, a short discussion regarding why the scholars of fiqh have differences of opinion. The reason why I want to do this is because our discussions will become more fiqhi based and um, we are studying a book nonetheless and I don't want it to confuse uh, anyone here that has learned other fiqh opinions or uh, practice uh, one of the uh, four fiqh madhahib or, or a madhab other than the madhab of Ibn al-Qayyim which was predominantly Hanbali. I don't want it to be a, a means of confusion. So I will share with you uh, a short discussion, a short presentation on why uh, the scholars of uh, fiqh may have a difference of opinion regarding a matter even though the revelation was one and the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa was one and then inshallah we will kick off with the guidance of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa pertaining to wudu and uh, tayammum and wiping over his socks and his turban uh, inshallah i love you all for the sake of allah everything correct said is from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaytan and i seek allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness brothers and sisters please take care please keep in touch via the forums please ask your questions there and um, inshallah we will be in touch with some one of lectures uh, over the upcoming months um, I will miss you all 
I will remember you in my dua and request you to remember me in your dua. And uh, my dear brothers and sisters, please take care of yourselves and, and please continue getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ensuring that you become better. And I would really love for you to put that plan into practice that we discussed at the end of last week's session. You know that plan to become better. Jazakumullah uh, khairan. Please take care and keep in touch. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته